0: Hello vampires and slayers, this is Mixtress Ray and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question today is Season 3, Episode 1 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, entitled Anne. Yes, we're finally here kids, on September 29th, 1998 this episode aired, so we finally get to talk about an actual episode of Buffy again, as is the stated format of my podcast it has been four long months since we got to talk about an episode of Buffy within the format of my podcast this is the first time that you've listened to what's this bitch talking about uh first of all I have a squeaky chair you're gonna hear that because I'm I can't stay perfectly still while I'm sitting in it (laughs) I keep telling everybody that I'm going to get a new chair and i am like i have a lead on a new chair i just haven't acquired it yet (laughs) anyway as is if you this is your first time listening to what's this bitch talking about a buffy podcast the format of it is that which i don't know why it would be like podcasts like this usually start at the beginning but for if for some reason you just wanted to start with the beginning of season 3 And you don't know what you're listening to right now, except that it's a Buffy podcast. I review, recap, and post the podcast episodes all in one day, usually. Um, Exactly, each episode exactly 20 years after its original air date. So that's why we're here on September 29th, 2018, unless you're coming from the future. I hope things are better in the future. So first of all, I have to get something out of the way before we start talking about the episode. And that is something that I somehow was able to avoid, was able to overlook, was able to not be encountered with the... Okay, so basically back in March of 2017, it came out that Joss Whedon, the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the show that we love is an adulterer and an asshole. That is all I knew up until, I didn't even, I didn't know the March 2017 part, but I knew that like he had cheated on his wife, who's now ex, and um, that everybody thought he was an asshole now. But for some reason, I was not compelled to look into that further. Um, I feel like I should have been. I am very avoidant with news sometimes because um, I take things pretty hard. (laughs) I'm very emotional. So um, I guess I was just waiting to hear like more details of that and figure out what I was going to do with that information. I think I was just waiting to hear The story from someone I trusted, perhaps, Um, and that finally happened. It finally got to a point where I couldn't avoid it anymore. Like, I was perfectly willing to accept that Joss Whedon could be an asshole. I mean, there is a lot of evidence of that um, over the years. He, first of all, just before I get into If you're a person like me that was waiting to hear this from someone that you trust, I am about to talk about what the actual thing was. But first of all, there are other, there's other evidence in his work that he's maybe not the feminist that he purports to be. He's, first of all, it should have been a red flag to all of us that he is constantly talking about how he's a feminist. You know, like every interview with Joss Whedon is like, I'm a feminist. I created Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There's my evidence. And yes, he created a feminist icon. So, you know, you can't take that away from him for sure. But other things that Joss Whedon has done, he created the character of Xander Harris who, you know, in many interviews, he and others have said that he has stated. He and others have said that he has stated. Anyway, he has stated many times in press that he created the character of Xander to be sort of the wish fulfillment of himself. You know, Xander is who he wanted to be in high school because he thought of himself as a geek and, you know, like, no women paid attention to him or whatever the fuck stupid bullshit geek white boy stereotype you know I'm so over it like I used to be like so into the whole nerds are cool now thing because I love nerdiness but like as soon as you give any white dudes like a little tiny sprinkling of coolness or power they just become assholes. And that is sexism right there. And that's a lot of, you know, what we're about to talk about with the whole Joss Whedon is now an asshole and probably always was storyline. But, okay, sorry. It always takes me like such a circuitous route to get to what I really want to talk about. Anyway, so he created this character of Xander Harris that we love But the older I get, the more I realize what an asshole he is. He's constantly, like, um, belittling and slut-shaming his girlfriend, Cordelia. Um, If this is your first time listening to this podcast, it is not a spoiler-free Buffy podcast. I will constantly refer to things that happen years down the road, literally, since we do this, um, in real time, (laughs) um... He is also pretty dismissive of his later, more long-term, more serious girlfriend, Anya. He gets, you know, great, great, strong female characters that don't really put up with his shit, which is great, but he is, um, he's pretty dismissive of Anya. You know, he, he treats her badly. Like, if you really look at it, he doesn't treat her very well. He's not super sweet to her, but we're supposed to think he's super sweet. He never has to suffer consequences of his shitty actions. You know, like that time that he attempted to rape Buffy whenever he was, like, possessed by a hyena. Like, I'm perfectly willing to be like, dude, not completely his fault because he was possessed by a hyena. But he never admitted that he remembered it and he never apologized. And yes, I've bitched about that before and I will do so again. (laughs) That is the number one shittiest action of Xander Harris and there are many more. Um, So it's important to note that while Joss Whedon did create the character of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, an awesome character, he also created Xander Harris. And it would, you know, it would behoove us to remember also that he created this storyline wherein there is um, a Watcher and a Slayer. Both are kind of called into action mystically even though they don't really go into the details of that for the the Watcher storyline. But it's kind of a calling for both of these positions. The Watcher is, you know, he gets... The Watcher is typically a guy, although there are female Watchers, but in this position of authority over a Slayer, who's like the one that actually does all the work, they get paid. He gets a watcher salary on top of getting a librarian salary at the high school. Whereas the Slayer, it just gets mystically called and she is just a victim and she's supposed to just do it. She does not get paid. And that is a huge red flag to me as far as feminism is concerned. The Slayer is always a woman and she doesn't get paid. And, like, I realize that it's, like, a mystical force that calls her and shit, but they pay watchers, so why would they not also, if this is an organization that is, that revolves around the existence of the Slayer, the Slayer should be the highest member of that organization, in my opinion. You know, they should come to her and be like, look, your life has changed now, we want to make it easier for you, it's gonna, you know, you don't, I mean, if you want to pursue a career, that's up to you. Like, a real feminist watcher organization would, you know, be like, you can do whatever you want with your life. However, we are going to pay you for this incredible service that you give to humanity that you don't have a choice in. Um, So that if you don't want to pursue a career, you still have a very livable wage. Because you're the highest paid among all of us. You know, I don't know. That's just... that's a That's a very anti-feminist stance because and then later okay so he creates uh, the Slayer character he also creates the Xander character um Joss Whedon also started the Angel series and that was a series in which I mean he essentially abandoned the Buffy show to go and do Angel Um, And that series had, I mean, it wasn't terribly sexist, but it had some problematic aspects to it. Um, And, you know, one of which, you know, I mean, it was just, to me, it almost seemed like as soon as Joss Whedon started getting recognition for his feminist TV show, He went on to do the things that he really wanted to do. I mean, he's been very public about saying that he did not want to do TV anymore by the time he started Buffy. It was actually his wife that convinced him to go for it. And you know, if it weren't for her, we wouldn't have Buffy because she talked him into it because he was very against being a part of TV again, because he just wanted to do movies. He thought TV wasn't important enough. And she was like well do tv for a while and then you can go to movies you know you have to get get make a name for yourself somewhere and you have this opportunity to make Buffy into a tv show so you should do it so he did and it worked and as soon as it started working for him he created um a male-centric tv show in Angel and sort of abandoned Buffy like Marty Knoxon became the showrunner from season four on I believe for Buffy um which I think is great for Buffy because it went in directions that Joss could never have taken it in I mean he was still a big part of the show he still was responsible for the main story arcs and you know punching up the scripts here and there and he still directed a hand you know one or two episodes per season from season four on but largely he didn't give a shit about Buffy anymore he was working on Angel he made the Firefly TV show that um is a great TV show I love it but it also had some problematic sexist aspects to it as well um uh, I just found out about, like, the pur- a proposed script for one of the Firefly episodes that is really, really problematic. Um, I-, I guess I have to, I was going to be like, but I don't want to go into it, but, you know, why, why bring that much up if I'm not going to actually tell you what it is? Apparently during, like, the show's pitch to one of the other big showrunners, I forgot what his, I think his name is David something, I don't know, anyway. He was like you know pitching the show of Firefly to one of the other big showrunners before they had started actually putting it into production, and the plot that he gave him for one of the episodes was that Anara, who is like, um, she's a sex worker, um, in the show, and the, and Mal, another jaw surrogate character that constantly shuts slut shames Anara. Because of her chosen profession he's an asshole in a lot of ways but he's also a good guy you know he's another Xander slash Joss he's a Joss surrogate character and he slut shames Anara all the time and in order to further the plot and teach Mal not to slut shame Inara anymore the plot of this particular episode was that Inara was going to get gang raped And it was going to show the Mal character that, you know, there's a difference between being gang raped and being a sex worker by choice. You know, he was using, you know, a really horrific rape situation as a plot point. He was doing a terrible thing to one of his strong female characters in order to teach the dude character a lesson. You know, so that's a, I and mean, it's something that he does on Buffy as well. You know, if he has any responsibility for that plot point where Spike tries to rape Buffy in season six, then, you know, that's another thing. It was, that plot point was there to teach Spike a lesson and to f- do, and to, you know, further the story arc of Spike. You know, it was more about that than it was a commentary on what was actually happening, you know, and uh, rape is a plot point. Like, in our sexist society, I almost think it should just be completely off the table to have rape as a plot point. It's too triggering for too many of us, and until we're in an equal society, it can't that non-consensual sex just should not be used as you know I don't know I just think it should be off the table but we'll get into that plot point when we hit that point in season six for sure okay other things that should have been red flags um on the show Angel um, Charisma Carpenter who plays Cordelia she was a big part of that show and she had gotten pregnant over the summer or something d- between one of the last seasons. And they're re, you know they including Joss, I'm sure I'm sure he had a big part in this because he was the showrunner, I think. but you know, anyway, I don't know all the details, but I do know that she was pretty much unceremoniously fired for getting pregnant. They could have written it into the story, Um, you know, they, but they just treated her like she had betrayed them for having a life, like she was still going to act in the show. So that's why, if you know anything about the Angel storyline, the last couple seasons just like were a complete train wreck because like at the last minute they wrote in this really weird storyline that was based around just fucking over the character of Cordelia. They basically just wrote in this really terrible storyline to make her look like an awful character to sort of justify just unceremoniously sticking her in a coma. And then she was around for one episode in the last season where she just sort of like appears as an apparition from her coma to say goodbye, essentially. She spends an episode saying goodbye to everyone. And that's the only closure you get on the Cordelia storyline. She, like, became a really interesting, nuanced character throughout, you know, not only Buffy, but throughout almost the whole series of Angel before she just got totally fucked over for getting pregnant. Like, it was just... Anyway, so that's a shitty thing that Joss had a part in, is just unceremoniously just doing terribly by that character because he was pissed at her for being pregnant. And that's real shitty. And that's a real sexist thing to do. Um, Also, whenever Joss finally got what he wanted and went over to movies and started making like Avengers movies and shit like that, he, he started creating movies that didn't even pass the Bechdel test. Okay. He went from feminist icon Buffy the Vampire Slayer to making big box office superhero movies that didn't even do right by the female characters. (laughs) Really? So, um, I think this is definitely a case with Joss Whedon that like He started off with an idea. He wanted to do right by women. His mom was a feminist. He grew up in, you know, the right environment to be a good dude. And he had good intentions. And he executed those good intentions. I mean, Buffy's my favorite show of all time. It's not going to stop being my favorite show of all time. But he, he, you know, the thing is, if you give anybody power, They're going to, I mean, it's a rare, rare sprinkling of human beings on this earth that can be given power and still be decent after getting it. If you realize you can have whatever you want without consequences, you're likely going to become an asshole. That's why I would never really want to be close to a famous person. I'd never want to be a famous person. Like I don't, I don't want that. I don't want to think of myself as better than other people. And like, hopefully, if given the opportunity to think that, I would still be a good human. But you don't know. Anyway, I didn't intend to talk about this for as long as I have. And I haven't even gotten to the point yet, which is that um, I was listening to, I always listen to the episode of Buffering the Vampire Slayer, the other Buffy podcast. (laughs) I mean, there are more than just two, but that's the one that I listen to. And, um, I always listen to the episode, um, while I'm, you know, the episode that I'm about to do as part of my research, because I'd like to hear what they have to say about it and blah, blah, blah. But they had talked about it because they recorded this episode back in probably early 2017 when this information came out. And so basically what it was... What had happened was Joss's ex-wife, Kai, she sort of wrote a letter to the press or whatever saying like, and the gist, you can find the actual letter online if you want, but the gist of it was, um, I think that you guys should know a little bit about the character of this man who calls himself a feminist. Like they had been in a really long-term relationship, like... They've been together 20 years or more. Um, Just recently, it came out that they separated. And she just kind of said, you know, he had written her letters after they separated, sort of confessing to a number of affairs, as he called it, I guess, affairs that he had with actresses. And it began with an actress on Buffy. Of course, I immediately started speculating as to which actress this was. I'm not going to tell you my theories because they're pure speculation, but he described this first person that he cheated on his wife with that was an actress on Buffy as um, young, beautiful, aggressive, and needy. So, (laughs) there's your little clues. Um, I have a definite theory as to who I think it is. Um, but anyway, so, and this began something like he had an affair with this woman and in his employ, which I think no matter what, that is wrong. Um, a director of a show that is employing an actress on that show in our sexist society should never, ever, ever have any relationship with that actress while while they're employed by that person. A true feminist dude would not do that. I mean, like, take out of the equation the fact that he was cheating on his wife, which is also a sexist thing and very wrong. <laughs> Um, Or at least a shitty thing, even if it's not necessarily a sexist thing, which I think it is in this case, because, you know, he was taking advantage of the power that he had as, you know, a director of this show. Like, even if it was as it was sort of reported that it was the actress that sort of aggressively came on to him, it's still not okay. There's a power differential there, not only of an age gap, but, you know, he was the showrunner employing her, and it's just, there's no way that that's not wrong, and that's a very sexist thing. And for somebody that calls themselves a feminist, that's a very sexist, boring, basic bitch storyline, and we wanted Joss to be better than that, but he's not. And that was one of many affairs, apparently, with other actresses. So, you know, like, I've seen almost everything Joss Whedon has put out. Dollhouse, um, which don't even get, I mean, like, if you really just think about the whole premise of Dollhouse under the lens of Joss being kind of a sexist asshole, it's like, Oh, a show about how prostitution is maybe kind of classy and cool and interesting and... Anyway, I'm going to try to, to calm down so that we can talk about the episode, but I had to bring that up because, oh, and, um, she also, Kai just sort of, she basically was like, you know, for years I suspected something, but, you know, he basically gaslighted me and convinced me that I was crazy and didn't, and didn't like admit anything until after they were separated. And so she just, and she's like, I'm a very private person. Normally this would be very against my nature to write a letter like this. But I just think people should know what kind of man this guy that says he's a feminist truly is. So he cheated on his wife multiple times with actresses in his employ. um, Took advantage of, you know, being a person in power and lied to his wife about it. That he'd been with for a very long time and she basically said you know she's in therapy now like it's taken her a really long time to to you know come back to herself after she didn't say the word gaslighting but it sounded like you know like she had basically been convinced by him that she was crazy and that everything was fine and you know it's it's just awful he treated his wife terribly and I'm getting emotional. He treated his wife terribly. He took advantage of power differentials with actresses that, I mean, I just think that any feminist dude, I mean, let, let okay, let's say that it was completely consensual. Let's say that these, that he was extremely attracted to this person. That person was extremely attracted to him. You wait until that person is no longer doing the thing that you hired them to do as an actress, you break up with your wife, and you can pursue a relationship with that person when they're not in your employ anymore, and you don't fire them so that they cannot be in their empl- in your employ anymore. You wait, you know. <laughs> like God. Anyway, anyway. So I mean, it's not. It's important to note that there are. You know, it's not black or white, you know? Joss Whedon is not as bad as Bill Cosby. Like, by all accounts, this was quote-unquote consensual, although I I take that into question whenever a person might feel like they would lose their job if they didn't, you know? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But let's say it was consensual. He still cheated on his wife. He's still, you know, he's still very problematic and I just had to bring it up because that was very fresh in my mind as I was watching this episode and everything was put through the lens of that. Um, it's basically all I've thought about the last couple of days. I kind of like, I don't want to blame that for being, I, I've sort of been in a depression the last couple of days and like thinking back on it. It was as soon as I found out about this that I just got really down and I just, luckily I had the day off yesterday because I did nothing with my day yesterday. I just laid around and I was really sad. And it was just, at one point I decided I had to get out of the house. So I went to fucking Walgreens and bought myself some Halloween socks and a black lipstick. You know, like I consoled myself with goodies from Walgreens. Um, that was the highlight of my day yesterday, going to Walgreens. Um, oh, I also got this really cute little journal that has radios on it and it's very retro looking. It was $3. It's cute. Anyway. Um, so I just thought that I would let you guys know if If you're a person like me that tries to avoid news and you didn't know what was going on, if you're a person that keeps up with news, you're like, duh, that was so March 2017. We've all known this about Joss for that long. Um, Anyway, so just, just so you know, that's the lens that I'm seeing everything through right now. So let's go ahead. I mean, it's important to note, as they did on the Buffering the Vampire Slayer, podcast in which they sort of talked about this whole thing. It's important to note that Joss is only one of hundreds of people that work on this awesome show. You know, Joss is big. He's not like a fucking genius. His big idea with everything is just, let's do pretty basic storylines in pop culture, but let's switch the genders. You know, like that's how the whole show of Buffy started is that, you know, you see Darla and some random guy and you don't know who Darla is at this point, And you think that, and she's wearing like a schoolgirl outfit and pretending to be scared of breaking into the school at night. You think that she is about to be killed by a vampire and the guy is the vampire, but twist, she's the vampire and he's the one in danger. And you know, that's basically the big idea that Joss Whedon has had in the beginning. He just doesn't even do it anymore. Now he just makes basic bitch shit, you know, like I was just so mad at him when I watched that first Avengers movie. I I liked the movie. The first time I watched it, I think I really liked the movie. And the second time I watched it, I realized it didn't pass the Bechtel test. And I was just like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, but Joss Whedon, you know, the same thing happened with, oh, who's that guy? Anyway, whatever. (laughs) There's another actor that made movies that I I like his stuff, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now. Um, And I thought, oh my god, we trusted you! Because he started making, he started, like, getting a name for himself and making movies, and, like, he um, started making movies that didn't pass the Bechdel test. God, who is it? Simon Pegg. That's who I'm thinking of. I'm like, we trusted you! (laughs) But it's just, you know, and Michael said something at some point, like, are we just going to be taking everyone down? Yes, we are. Right now, because we're becoming more woke as a society, that means that every single white dude is under the microscope. And that means that most of them are going to be taken down because, you know, it's not like dudes are inherently evil. We've given them unchecked power in our society so the fact that it's being taken away now means that you know a lot of people you know there's a lot of pretty prominent white guys right now that might be sitting at laying at home on the couch really sad because somebody finally called them out on their shit that's how it is they can build themselves back up I don't think Joss Whedon is in a an irredeemable asshole if he wrote us all a very personal letter saying I was wrong and this is why I was wrong and I see that now I def I want to be a feminist I've always thought of myself this way and I've fallen and I've made some bad choices and I am so sorry um you know I would give him the benefit of the doubt that he wanted to change I don't think he's irredeemable, but I do think he's an asshole. So, that said, <laughs> let's talk about season three, episode one of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And okay, I just need to take a moment. I'll be right back. I'm gonna drink some coffee, take a couple deep breaths. Let's move on with our lives. Okay, so it begins with a vampire coming out of the grave. You see his um, tombstone right before, you know, it pans down to him, like, sticking his hand up out of the grave. And he's supposed to be 17. Of course, the vampire makeup makes anybody look older, but he looks like he's in his late 30s. Anyway, that was just the first note that I wrote. This vampire's supposed to be 17? Really? Um, and, And it pans up and it's Willow. And she says, that's right, big boy. Come and get it. Because she's trying to, like, you know, be witty and punny like Buffy. So um, it turns out it is Xander, Oz, and Willow, and they're trying to fight vampires. And it's, you know, kind of slapsticky. There's sort of some, like, you know, cheesy music in the background. And they miss the vampire. It gets away. Um, Because the three of them are not organized and adept enough to kill one vampire this begs the question why is Giles not there because Giles knows how to kill a vampire like he should be patrolling with them he's a watcher and okay whatever anyway Giles isn't there and they're pretty funny trying to fight vampires So then you find out that Buffy is still gone. It's been an entire summer. It's been an entire four months. We all feel that absence if you're listening to this podcast in real time. Um, She's still gone. They still don't know where she is. So they're sort of like, where is she? I wonder what she's doing right now, which is the perfect segue to Buffy waking up in a tiny, tiny little studio apartment in we, I don't know, I don't know if we ever really literally, I guess we do literally find out that it is downtown LA. So she's in downtown LA. You hear sirens outside that sort of wake her up and she's super sad and she has cool highlights. When did Buffy have time to get cool highlights after getting kicked out of her house, expelled from school, wanted by the cops, killing her boyfriend? When did she have time for highlights? But she's got them and they look pretty cute. She has sort of like a, that late 90s multi-dimensional hair color thing going on. So they're like, there's even like some sort of reds in her hair. It's, uh, it's, it's very much a thing. People don't do that type of thing to their hair anymore. We're like, there's five different colors in your hair repeating over and over. I don't know what that's called. Multitonal, right? (laughs) When I first heard the word multitonal, it was said By Jovovich in like a L'Oreal color hair commercial or Garnier teeth or something I don't know whatever anyway um, let's see oh well I've skipped over the part where first you see Buffy having a dream she's standing on a beach there's this okay it's important to note after everything I just said at the beginning of this podcast that this episode is directed by Joss Whedon okay that's important to note and the first shot of Buffy is kind of an objectifying shot like at first you're like what is going on because they show her face and she's sort of like throwing her head back and then it pans down and like very booby slow pan shot and then when it gets to her stomach you see Angel's arms come around her. So, like, that's the excuse for this shot, is that his arms were about to come around her. So you, like, you go, oh, okay. But he still did it. (laughs) That is, you know, that's what Joss does. He, like, does objectifying things, and then he finds a reason to justify them. He's like, no, see, i uh, feminist. Yep, Mm mm-hmm, I was not doing that because I wanted to show you her boobs in slow motion no i wasn't doing that also uh just have to note this is a very booby episode like now i'm going to be paying attention every time joss whedon directs an episode like does he always really focus on boobs because there's like a slow panning boob shot of the band later when you see the band playing at the bronze and like neither of those women are wearing a bra and it's very much the whole scene was lit so that you could see the outline of their nipples. Like, it's really, really, like, intentional. (laughs) Both of the women in that band. It's just a slow, sexy shot of their boobs. That whole thing. I mean, they look good. That's not what we're arguing here. It's just kind of objectifying. Okay. So, She's on a beach, Angel's there, it's daylight, so of course you know it's a dream, because you know, Angel's alive, and it's daylight, and he says, she says something like, I thought you were gone, and he's like, no, you can't, can't get rid of me, not even if you kill me, (laughs) um, forever, that's kind of the whole point, so it sounds kind of, you know, kind of sleazy, like, you can't get rid of me, even if you kill me, um, but anyway, so that's the dream that she's having. She's in downtown LA, she's a waitress now, so you see her at a diner, and it is so goddamn sad, her in this diner, like, you know, you see her getting, like, the, the clients that she's waiting on, customers, I guess you call them, customers that she's waiting on are sort of, like, calling her peaches and sweet cheeks and slapping her on the ass, like, you see some sexist shit this is a very heavy-handed episode. You know, like, you're supposed to know that, you know, like, we're in scary downtown LA, and you know that because of the sirens. You're supposed to know that Buffy is not Buffy anymore. She puts up with a lot of sexist bullshit in that you see her literally get smacked on the ass, and she doesn't throw down. So... I mean, it's effective, but it's heavy-handed. It's very sad because you see her get smacked on the ass. You see her start to, like, turn around like she would and, like, throw down. But she doesn't. She chooses not to. So you know how sad she is. Like, she's just depressed in L.A. So she has somehow made enough money to get a tiny little apartment in the four months that she's been gone from us um, and she has this, you know, diner job she's trying to just disappear she just doesn't want to be herself anymore the entire theme of this episode is who is Buffy? other people are confused by who she is and they actually literally ask that a few different times at one point Joyce is talking to Giles and she just says who is she now? you know I don't know who she is so you know it's basically like she has at the end of season two it was like she came out to her mom she was outed she didn't do it on purpose but it was like she came out to her mom as a slayer her mom couldn't handle it so she became a runaway I mean the metaphor here is that she is she is surrounded in this like crappy part of downtown LA she's surrounded by a lot of very young teenage kids that are on the streets that have, I mean, the metaphor is that like, you know, people that kicked, they get kicked out by their parents and live on the streets. It really should have been, I mean, if it were really the scene of downtown LA, kids that had been kicked out of their houses and didn't have a home, runaways, It should have been, you know, some trans people, more people of color. It should have been, um, actual gay and lesbian youth, but that's not the, I mean, that's the metaphor that they're making, but they're making the metaphor with like straight white kids instead of with the actual demographic of who would be on the streets and it would be, you know, LGBTQ I a kids is what it would be mostly in real life, but anyway. Again, that's another big problem with Buffy is that it's a very white show. Okay, let's get back to my notes here. <laughs> so I just wrote she doesn't even have the energy to body slam misogynist. That's how depressed she is. Um, we get to the theme song and it's it's been re recorded at this point, so it's sort of the better sounding theme song. So, um, that's nice. We no longer have the little intro of one girl in all the world read by Anthony Stewart Head, who plays Giles. So that's a little sad because, I mean, if somebody is coming to the show for the first time, that was a nice little intro. You know, it gave you the premise of the show. It was, it was nice. They should have kept that in, I think, but they didn't. Um, we go back to, so... Buffy also, like in that same scene where she gets slapped on the ass, she um, sees Chanterelle. So you'll remember Chanterelle from that episode in season two when that guy Ford came back that Buffy knew from her old school and he was trying to like sacrifice Buffy to this vampire to, he, she was trying, he was trying to sacrifice Buffy to Spike or something so that he could get turned into a vampire because he had brain cancer and so he was gonna die if he didn't turn into a vampire and Chanterelle was part of like a a cult that she was a goth girl and she was so so cute remember how cute she was oh my god so cute um I yeah she's so cute anyway she is now going by Lily so she's now just like uh, runaway on the street in downtown LA. So she definitely has, you know, some darkness in her past. She's an interesting character. She goes on to become um not like a regular on Angel, but you see her in several different episodes on Angel. She just becomes somebody I think she runs a homeless shelter. And she just, she has a very interesting story arc, you know, because she starts out as this goth kid that worships vampires, Chanterelle. And then she's, you know, meek, homeless Lily on the streets. You find out she also used to go by Sister Sunshine. Like, she basically just has wandered around, attaching herself to powerful people. And in this episode, she attaches herself to Buffy. And Buffy sort of, like, by the end of the episode, Buffy has... Given her her apartment, given her her job, and given her a name because Buffy, in this reality, in in this downtown LA waitress world, she's going by her middle name Anne. So that's why the the story is called, or the episode is called Anne. So by the end of the episode, you know, like Buffy has given her her apartment, her job, and her name. <laughs> So Lily becomes Anne. Um, so now that I've talked about the end of the episode, let's rate it now. <laughs> I am hopping all over the place right now. Um, I guess I sort of have a different energy today because I'm, I'm recording before work. And so I'm sitting here like drinking cups of coffee. And I know I have a time limit, so I keep looking at the time. <laughs> so that's kind of funny that like the day I have a time limit, I've already talked for 45 minutes and I'm not even done with the first page of my notes. So we're going to have to get into it, man. Glad I gave myself enough time. Um, let's see. Oh, okay. So my next note is the library is hopping. So we go back to Sunnydale and it's super busy in the library. And I was watching this episode with my headphones on last night. And I think this might be intentional. Almost every scene, especially in the beginning of the episode, that, you know, because they keep flipping back and forth between Buffy's new life in downtown LA and everybody else in Sunnydale. And every time, not every time, but the first several scenes of the Sunnydale world, were like super crowded school scenes and there was a lot of background noise I mean they really like used their budget to hire a lot of extras in this episode because there were like dozens of people in the library because they're all like getting books I guess for the semester it's like the one day of the year that Giles actually has to check out books to people <laughs> Um and he's got one of those little like red laser pen things to scan the barcodes it's so cute um I never got to use those in my library we were already using regular barcode scanners but that was cute to see um Giles actually like scanning barcodes with one of those little laser pen things that was a nice moment but anyway um the background noise that it was they were really laying it on thick you felt like you were in the middle of a crowd um especially listening with headphones whenever you were in the library and in the school scenes in Sunnydale and then like the contrast whenever they'd flip back to the Buffy downtown LA world especially so we have this whole scene they're in the library like talking about stuff and then um you go to Buffy and Buffy is sitting alone in her apartment eating spaghettios straight out of the can just sort of like sitting on the edge of her bed, staring off into the middle distance. Like it's, and it's very quiet. So I think they're trying to make the point that she is completely alone when everybody else is not. Um, so, uh, that said, okay, so what are they talking about back in the library? Um, you find Oz shows up, he's a year older than them, and so he was supposed to have graduated. This is the beginning of every of Willow, Xander, and Buffy's senior year. Although Buffy's been kicked out of school, so she's not in school at the moment, but so Oz shows up at school, and Willow's like, uh, what the fuck? I thought you graduated. And he's like, well, remember how I had incompletes? And she was like, yeah, you were going to go to summer school. And he's like, yeah, well, remember how I didn't go? So it turns out he is going to be around. So Oz didn't graduate. So he's happened to um, do another year of school. (laughs) I wrote down this little quote. um, One of the teachers, like kids were running by in the hall. And um, the teacher said, summer is over. Be somber. There was a lot of like one shots in this episode a lot of really long shots going between going down hallways and talking to different characters and just like not cutting away it was very there was a lot of movement there were a lot of crowds it was there was a lot going on in the scenes with the Scoobies in this episode Xander and Cordelia are both they haven't run into each other yet they haven't seen each other all summer they're super nervous about seeing each other again um Oh, um, you see Larry say he's talking to like, I don't know, one of his jock friends or something talking about how he's, he's ready for this football season. He's excited. He's like, if we can focus, keep discipline and not have so many mysterious deaths, Sunnydale is going to (laughs) rule. So that was just a cute little quote. Larry's still around. Um, let's see. Crowd noise. Yeah, I already talked about that. Uh, oh, um, So Giles, this is like a couple scenes later after you see Buffy eating the SpaghettiOs and she's super sad. Um, Giles has a lead on where Buffy is. Apparently he spent the whole summer sort of like trying to track her down. I find it interesting, like she literally just disappeared after, you know, the last they knew she was going to fight Angel and they know that the world didn't end. So they know that she defeated Angel but they don't know that she didn't like die you know they just it's like they just know that she ran away on purpose but they don't have a reason to know that for sure so that was just like a little piece of I don't know I just feel like they could have written that better like they're all like well Buffy's gonna be found whenever she wants to be found and Giles is looking for her and like So he can try to convince her to come back, I guess. I don't know. But none of them are worried about her safety, which I think is a little bit... I don't know. I feel like they would be. Would not they be, like, super worried about what happened to her? How do they just know that she's okay, you know? I don't know. That's just my little nitpick right there. Okay, let's see. So he's about to get on a plane to go because he had heard that like about some girl fighting vampires somewhere and he's just gonna go see if he can find her so he's been looking for her all summer um I wrote portrait of runaway homeless youth is poignant though heavy-handed and very lacking in trans and gay kids um which would be a big point of big part of that demographic so I already said that um so Buffy and Lily and was called a Chanterelle are talking and that's where she sort of points out yeah remember me I used to be Chanterelle just in case the we didn't recognize her cause she was just in that one other episode and um she sort of acknowledges to Buffy that that she she understands she's she says something like I know when you got to get lost because she she tries to catch up with her at first in the scene and Buffy doesn't know she's there yet and she keeps calling out, Anne, Anne, and Buffy's not answering. And so she says, Buffy. And then Buffy turns around and she's like, don't, don't worry. I won't tell anyone that you're Buffy. You know, like, I understand that you want to be lost right now. Like, I know what that feels like. And, um, so they're just having a little conversation and, and I, I think this character is very interesting. It was born out of a lot of the way that different Buffy characters evolve is like they hire people for one-offs. But then they realize that they're good actors and they're really interesting. And so they bring them back. And this was a a case of that. So she was just going to be in that one episode as the goth chick, Chanterelle. But they really liked her. So they brought her back as Lily. And then they really liked her. So they brought her back on the Angel series as Anne. Where she, essentially, she played different characters in each of those within one person. Which is actually, you know, like a thing. People do that. People try on different identities, especially when they're teenagers. So I think she's an interesting character. I'm sad to say this is the last time we see her on Buffy, because I think they really set it up at the end, even. So when Buffy's like handing over her apartment and telling her that she has a job at the diner, she wants it and all that stuff. She says that she'll call and check up on her because several times during this episode, I mean, Lily basically says... You know, I'm not good at taking care of myself, you know, Ricky takes care of her. So I, I don't think I mentioned, but she sees Chandra, when she sees Chanterelle in the diner at first, she's with uh, a boyfriend named Ricky and they have matching tattoos and, you know, like Ricky takes care of her. But throughout the rest of the episode, Ricky is not there, which brings us to while they're talking in this scene, just walking down the street, um, an old guy sort of bumps into them and then stumbles out into the street. And Buffy has to save him because he just willingly stands in front of a car and tries to get hit. And she has to save him and she gets hit by the car and people are crowded around her. This is the first time you see like a lot of people and and a crowd, a crowd is forming around Buffy and she is feeling very closed in and she does not like it and she runs. She just runs away from, cause everybody's like seeing if she's okay after she gets hit by the car. Um, more sirens while Buffy's running away from the crowd that was surrounding her. She runs into Ken. So Ken is this guy that runs a homeless shelter or something and he hands out flyers and, like, he's constantly trying to recruit people to his, like, religious homeless shelter situation. He's constantly talking to runaways. Um, so of course he's a bad guy. Um, then we... They do, like, this very heavy-handed, like, shot of, like, I don't know, this, like, little montage. You're hearing Belly Loves, um, On My Way to Freedom, or whatever, Freedom, whatever the title of that song is. A really good song from the Buffy soundtrack. I have it on my Buffy mix, so the link for that is in the podcast description notes if you're interested. I think it's a very good mix. (laughs) I listened to the, the Buffy mix. A lot, actually. Because it's just mostly chill, late 90s, sort of, like, Mazzy Star-type stuff. You know? Um, I like it. But anyway. So then I wrote Nipple Band Belly Love. (laughs) Which is, you know, not nice. I don't know if it's actually the band playing the women, but I would assume that it is. Um... But Xander and Willow are both just sort of moping (laughs) because they're just not the same without Buffy. They're just not. And Xander is um, being a dick about Cordelia. He is a dick in this episode for sure. I used to have, I mean, I still have it. Like a list of Xander transgressions, but at this point, he's just sort of generally an asshole, and keeping track of every asshole thing he does is just exhausting. So, I'm not going to do it. It's just like we all know Xander's an asshole, (laughs) but he, you know, he's complaining because, like, I guess, oh, yeah, I forgot to mention, but. Cordelia and Xander finally did run into each other after a bunch of like, oh my God, it's going to be so crazy when we see each other again. It's been all summer. Oh my God, how's my hair? And then when they ran into each other, they just sort of like awkwardly looked at each other like, how's your summer? Fine. How's yours? Fine. Okay. Bye. You know, they just had like an awkward moment when they finally did see each other. So Xander's moping about that. Like, like, oh, I guess we're not in a relationship anymore. Like, blah, blah, blah. He's being an ass. And um then Cordelia walks in the room. They're out the bronze, of course. Um, if I didn't mention that. And they're sort of having they're also having a conversation about how they're really terrible at fighting vampires without Buffy, and they just really need Buffy, and they're sort of terrible. And <laughs> she's like Um Xander or Oz says something about how they're rhythmically. Sn- I don't, anyway, I'm not even going to say it because I can't get the conversation right in my head. So, um, it's a funny little banter situation about how they're all pretty inept at fighting vampires without Buffy. And when Xander sees Cordelia walk in the room, he's like, I know what we need to up our vampire game. Bait. So he calls Cordelia Bait and he takes, they take her out with them patrolling So that she can just sort of stand around and attract vampires to her. Because they're losing most of the vampires that they try to. Um, I don't know how this is going to help. It's going to keep the vampires in the situation, I guess. I guess distract them enough so that they can... But they're really putting Cordelia in danger. And they're fine with it because everybody's dismissive of Cordelia. So, this character has really been. I mean, this is a very sexist character, Cordelia, because they are constantly slut shaming her. They don't care as much about the value of her life as they do about the rest of them. She's definitely like a reluctant member of the Scooby Gang. Like, they don't. I mean, not that she's reluctant, but they're reluctant to accept her. It's like she's there. She's hot. That's really the only value she has, which is pretty terrible. Let's just say that. Okay. So, Xander calls Cordelia bait. They, they get her out there, whatever. Um they do finally kill a vampire. Um well, which is actually due to Cordelia. Like she basically facilitates that. I think she stabbed. I think she was the one that stabbed the vampire in the back. And then somehow she, it was like the vampire was in between her and Xander. And so after he dusted, she fell on top of him and they started kissing. Whatever. Fine. We get a scene where Giles visits Joyce. It it seems kind of weird that he would even go. Like he just, he had just gotten back from whatever lead he thought he had. He didn't find Buffy. And he comes over to Joyce's house to tell her that he went to look for Buffy and didn't find her. Like, I guess this would make sense if Joyce had known that he was going and he was coming over to say, Hey, I didn't find her, but it just seems a little awkward his reason for being there. I'm guessing it was just he wanted we're we're supposed to know that they're sort of keeping tabs with each other. You know, they're both the they're the parental figures essentially of Buffy and they're both very concerned and so you find out that Joyce is is beside herself, as most mothers would be, and she just sort of hangs out at home all the time and doesn't leave because she's afraid that Buffy might try to call. This is pre-cell phone days, you guys. I mean, cell phones, I think, existed, but most people didn't have them at this point. They weren't being written into TV shows yet. (laughs) Um, Joyce, um, at one point, you know, Joyce is saying, I'm afraid to leave the house, blah, 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 and Giles says don't blame yourself, Joyce. And she says, I don't. I blame you. Which seems very, very harsh. But then she goes on to say, you know, I feel like, I mean, she just found out that her daughter is the Slayer. And that Giles knew and is involved. And so she, it it makes sense that she's like, I feel like there's this whole other life that Buffy has that you're involved in and now she's gone. You know, like as soon as she finds out about Buffy's of their life, she disappears. So I I get it. And Giles doesn't like, you know, he's not an asshole about it. Because he's not an asshole. You know, like, if Joss Whedon is capable of writing a feminist, amazing dude character like Giles, (laughs) like, can he channel as he gets older Giles instead of Xander? Like it feels like he's becoming more Xander. Oh, on the Xander Giles spectrum of white dude sexism. <laughs> Be a Giles, everybody. Be a Giles. Okay, sorry. Um How do they know Buffy went away of her own accord? Okay, I talked about that. This episode's theme, who is Buffy? So they keep basically, you know, hitting you over the head with it, that she doesn't know who she is anymore. She, she just wants to hide. She doesn't want to be a slayer anymore. Um, and in this conversation with Joyce and Giles, Joyce actually says, who exactly is she? Um, because Giles says something like, he's assuring Joyce that, um, wherever she is, she's safe because she's a capable child. And, um, she's, he says whatever's going on with her, she may be depressed, but I assure you she's in no danger. So, you know, he's trying to comfort her. And, um, the whole episode is about identity and how life can beat it out of you. It can make you, you know, it can reduce you to mumbling i'm no one over and over in a hell dimension which is what is happening with ken so we soon find out that ken is his little homeless shelter thing is really just a hell dimension where they work people until they're too old and spit them back out into the world and you find out that that old guy that got that tried to get hit by the car he kills himself he successfully kills himself with Drano and Buffy finds him later and she sees that it's Ricky because he has the Lily tattoo that she saw just the day before so, um, you know, that's the general plot of the show is that life can chew you up and turn you into and take away your identity if you let it you know, if you let all of the sadness of life get you down it can completely chew you up Um, let's see. She's trying to run away from her calling. Um, and at one point, you know, like the whole theme of who is Buffy? Lily keeps saying to her, but she comes to her for help because Ricky has been missing for a day. And Buffy's like, I can't help you. Like she's trying to resist, you know, getting involved in anyone. She doesn't want to talk to anyone. She just, she wants to brood. Um, and Lily says, but, but that's who you are, right? You help people. You, you know how to do stuff, you know? Um, and Buffy's just like, not anymore. She tries to resist, but she can't. So she does start helping Lily. They start asking around, trying to figure out where he could have gone, investigating. They split up. They look, um, to, to like go to different places that Ricky has been seen, blah, blah. Blah. And that's when Buffy finds him and she, they're meeting later at Buffy's apartment. So Lily's waiting for her. And then we have like a, a scene where, you know, Buffy has to break it to Lily that Ricky is dead and that he was an 80 year old man. And understandably Lily's like, well, that's not him. He's not 80. (laughs) Um, But Buffy gets kind of harsh, you know, because she's over-identifying. She's like, She's like, I'm sure it was him. I don't know how, but it was. And you're just going to have to deal with it. (laughs) You know, she just gets really harsh with Lily, who's just this very, like, wisp of a girl. Um, Yeah, she's way harsh. She's way harsh to Lily. Lily runs away, and that's when Ken gets her. So she gets taken into the, the underwater hell dimension via this really gross, like, tar pit that's supposed to be like a baptism pool or some shit that's the way he um describes it like that you will be cleansed he puts her in this like dirty burlapy looking smock thing and makes her stick her hands in this tar because he's like yeah ricky's here ricky's with us now this he i can take you to him um you just have to stick your hands in this tar (laughs) And Buffy comes in as it's happening. Lily hasn't been taken in yet. She starts kicking Ken's ass, and um, they fall into the the tar pit, and that's when they go into the hell dimension and they're locked up like in a cell, and you see Ken's real face because he's actually a demon, and that's when you find out that they're in a hell dimension, and a hundred long years can go by in the hell dimension whereas only a day went by in the real world. So that's why Ken preys on runaways, because no one will notice that they're gone for a day or two, and then they'll get spit back into the world as old people. And um, then it starts all connecting that you've seen several different homeless old people on the streets, like Buffy walked by one of Um, them earlier in the episode and she was just sort of rocking back and forth in the corner saying I am no one I am no one I am no one and you find out the reason why they're saying I am no one is that in this hell dimension they're working on something they work them till they die we don't know what the fuck they're working on but it's just sort of a industrial environment with like some sort of evil blacksmithing going on I don't know another heavy-handed thing they actually have like in the cell that buffy and lily are in while um, ken is talking to them there's like a skeleton on a bed like on a cot behind them like if normally they spit people out after they're old back into the real world to dispose of their bodies essentially why is there a skeleton on a bed it's just like such a like cheesy b b horror movie situation like just the prop department was just sort of like yeah let's just uh this is a scary little cell place let's put a skeleton over here in the corner yeah it's just like so many things about this episode are heavy-handed not that it wasn't enjoyable uh, my next note was Buffy has a chipped fingernail <laughs> I just thought that was interesting it probably wasn't intentional but Buffy's manicures are usually perfect despite the fact that she's constantly fighting evil <laughs> but you see like a little shot of her going through the paperwork so she goes to investigate oh we missed I guess at this point they're in hell so I'm I've skipped beyond that but there is this really awesome scene where she goes into um, the blood drive bank because the chick that works at the blood drive bank is um, is helping Ken she like is finding the the runaway she's finding the candidates for the hell dimension she's she gives him the names of the healthy ones but anyway Buffy breaks in to um look at their personal (laughs) she's funny because she just like broken she's looking through their files and um the the lady comes in and she's like what are you doing? and she says breaking in and looking through your personal files. And she's like I'm going to call the cops and then Buffy just reaches over and rips the phone off the wall. It's a really nice badass scene. Um let's see. Um and that's when we get the quote of the episode, so I might as well tell you now. Um as she's having the exchange with the blood drive lady who says, you know, like I don't, she says something about causing trouble or something. And Buffy says, I don't want any trouble. I just want to be alone and quiet in a room with a chair and a fireplace and a tea cozy. I don't even know what a tea cozy is, but I want one. Instead, I keep getting trouble, which I am more than willing to share. (laughs) Which is good. My next note is, Xander is mean and then they get sucked into hell. So I don't know. I guess we went back to the Scoobies for a second and I decided that Xander was mean. I don't remember. What particular instance i was referring to there but we all know xander is mean they get sucked into hell time moves differently there 100 years yeah yeah oh and then you find out the reason why they all say they are no one when they get spit back out into earth is um you know there's like guards in this world that are basically saying you know You're going to work. You're going to work and you're going to live. And that is it. You will do nothing else. And then he sort of goes down the line asking them all who they are. Um, And if they say anything other than I am no one, they get beat. So they're going down the line. Who are you? I am no one. Who are you? I am no one. And then they get to Buffy. And this is where we finally get her her badass slayerness comes back because she just looks up at him and says, I'm Buffy, the vampire slayer. And you are? So that's the the turning point. She finally knows who she is. Then there's a big kick-ass scene where she, she, she fights all the, the guards and um, she convinces Lily to sneak everybody out. And by everybody, this is just like the new group of initiates. There's like I don't know, five or six other non-speaking roles of kids and smocks. And Lily is like trying to lead them out through a back staircase or whatever. To try to get them back up through the tar pit. But there are lots of other extras. There's a lot of other people that are doing like the weird nefarious blacksmithing in the corners. (laughs) You know, lots of industrial sounds going on. People beating Metal against metal. (laughs) They're doing work. (laughs) Um, So it's really sad to think about that because later you know the whole Hell Dimension gets sealed up and it's just like okay well that's over. So all of those people just got sealed in there. So a lot of people got sacrificed. Like Buffy did not save everyone. She saved like six people from this Hell Dimension. Six out of I don't know. I would assume at least 50. So that's kind of sad to think about, but that is how it went down. Um, so she sort of coaches Lily, like, you know, take, I'm going to distract them. I'm going to kick their asses and distract them. And you're going to get these people out. And Lily is, you know, she doesn't take care of herself. She's very meek. She's like, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. And Buffy's like, you can do it because I say you can. You can handle this. And so Lily believes her because she needs someone to tell her what to do at this point in her life. Um, And she also just sort of says, I'm sorry about before, whenever they got into the fight or whatever. And Buffy's like, no time. She's like, well, in case we die. (laughs) Very practical, Lily. Um, Let's see. Uh, So let's see. Kin notices what's going on and he's like, humans don't fight back humans don't fight back he's really funny whoever this actor is he's he's very good you get a nice hero shot of Buffy like holding a weapon like getting ready to fight a bunch of guards um really like pretty great fight scene overall we get the outfit of the episode there's not a lot to choose from in this episode um at this point fashion is gonna kind of start going downhill we're going to get some some good stuff especially in the faith character that's coming up but um but there's not a lot to choose from so i did i chose as the outfit of the episode i guess i can go ahead and say that now the outfit that buffy is wearing when she kicks ass in the hell dimension so i mean just to describe it it doesn't sound like a cool outfit but she looked good it looked like the perfect like I'm a runaway now, but I'm kicking ass in a Hell Dimension outfit. It was very practical. Um, it was, like, like, baggy, sort of, maybe silk? Not really silk, but, like, it was baggy, drawstring, like, sort of olive green cargo pants. There were, like, a couple of pockets. pockets, And they were drawstring. It's the type of pants that, like, normally you wouldn't be able to pull off but Buffy was pulling them off she looked good um, so she's wearing like the olive cargo type drawstring pants she was wearing a black hoodie the sleeves went to the elbows and it was just a very fitted hoodie it was zipped right up to under her boobs so you could see she was very booby but it was it was good it was it was a tasteful Buffy boob situation you know The boobs were contained, but they also had a nice silhouette of boobiness. (laughs) It was good. Um, And she was, like, wearing probably, like, a gray tank top or something underneath the black hoodie. So it was just, it was muted tones. It was not the normal Buffy colors, but she looks good in muted earth tones. Um, And it was a very practical ass-kicking outfit. Although it was paired with white sneakers. So, I really would have paired it with some ass-kicking boots. I mean, she should have had some some stomp and black boots on. Like that would have been more practical. Honestly, but I guess that would have portrayed too much personality and she was supposed to be very very muted and very not Buffy. But that's the outfit of the episode. Um so after Ken is like he's standing up on on a higher level, than Buffy is while she's kicking ass he's she's he's sort of on the same level as Lily who's trying to get everyone out and like the little tar pit thing is in the background is above them because you know she's trying to get everybody out and he sort of catches her trying to get everyone out and that's when he starts yelling humans don't fight back humans don't fight back and then he starts doing like a whole evil dude speech and while he's doing that Lily's standing behind him and she just pushes him off I really love those type of moments of fighting evil, you know, like, I you know, I can get down with a good fight scene, you know, but I like economy of actions. So it's, that was a big moment for Lily as a character. You know, she saw the opportunity to just push him off the ledge and she did. It didn't kill him, but she played a vital role, role in defeating him. So He was knocked out at least and that got them to the point where they were about to get out and then he grabs Buffy at the last minute as she's trying to get through this like gate and the gate falls down and like impales his calves so he can't get through because it's a really really heavy gate um that only Buffy would be able to lift so um Everybody that they were trying to get out had gotten through. He got impaled in in the calves. And then she, (laughs) they do this weird joke where she's like, want to see my impression of Gandhi? And then she like smashes his head with a big Thor hammer mallet thing. And then Lily comes up and she's like, Gandhi? (laughs) And Buffy says, well, he was really pissed off, right? (laughs) I don't know. Stupid joke, but funny um okay let's see what else do I got want to see my impression Gandhi yes the portal just closes all by itself as soon as they get through they're looking down into the little tar pit pool and they're like what do we do about that and then it just closes up it just like becomes tile instead of tar And so everybody that was down there is just sealed up and they just sort of look at each other and shrug like, meh, well, I didn't know those other people, so fuck them. So that's a little problematic, but whatever. They, you know, had to get all of these details into one episode of Buffy. So um, at that point, we get the scene where Buffy is um, just sort of giving Lily a tour on her new life, essentially. She's like, okay, here's the apartment. It's paid for for the next three weeks. Here's your, um, diner uniform. You can start on Thursday. Um, she even talks to her about her boss. She's like, he's repulsive, but he's not going to give you any trouble (laughs) or something. (laughs) I don't know what that means. Like he's sexist, but not too sexist. Uh, you're going to be okay. Because she says, you know, I'm not great at taking care of myself. And Buffy's like, it takes practice. You're going to be okay. Um, so she just totally sets her up with a new life, which is really kind of sweet. Um, I mean, obviously it's because she's decided to go home. Um, she's decided she is Buffy the Vampire Slayer and she has to go face her life back in Sunnydale. But, um, but it is sweet that she, you know, sets a life life up for Anne and that's something that um you know when they show Anne later in the Angel series I I think that it would have been nice to mention this situation a little bit you know like we don't get enough backstory of Anne whenever we meet Anne and Angel like if you didn't know that she came if you didn't know about this episode you don't know where she came from and they don't really tell you in Angel. It would, it would be nice if they had like a little moment where like Anne could have said yeah Buffy set me up with this life and you know she allowed me to become who I truly am and you know yay for Buffy. I don't know but I just feel like they could have done a little better with that character once they get to Angel but they're a little dismissive of her. They're just sort of like hey here's this chick. She runs a homeless shelter. She's pretty cool. Her name's Anne. Like Okay. You had to like know the story to, to know, you know, they don't tell you if you don't already know, which I don't know, a little dismissive, but, um, that's just my nitpick of which I have many. So that is the point where she's sort of looking at the, at Buffy's uniform and it says Anne on it. And she's like, can I be Anne? (laughs) So, um, Every time Lily makes a change in her life, she becomes someone else. Like, you never find out what her original name was. Um, apparently, you find out later, way, way, way later in the comics, that her name that she was given at birth was Joan. So she's been Joan, Sister Sunshine, Lily, Chanterelle, and then her final incarnation was Anne. So she, she becomes, she starts becoming her final incarnation of human her, you know, most self-actualized self she becomes when she takes on the name Anne in this moment. So kind of a big deal for a very minor character and it's too bad we don't hear anything else from her again in the series of Buffy. But we don't. So goodbye Anne. We love you. You're the best. Um, and that is when we get the very last scene. So we see, um, Joyce is like, I don't, she's like got tools. She's, she's fixing the dishwasher. She's doing something handy in the kitchen and there's a knock on the door and it's Buffy. So you get to see Joyce and Buffy hug and that's the very end of the episode. So that brings us to ratings. So I told you the outfit and the quote, um, the object there really wasn't a whole lot of covetable objects in this episode, but I decided to choose Lily's lipstick. So, Lily's Lily was just sort of like it was basically the lipstick was the biggest part of her visual persona. So, um it was just this bright red lipstick. It had personality, it had sass. Um, it was sort of the opposite of who Lily was as a character, which I thought was interesting because she just sort of had this, um, super white blonde, super dirty hair. I mean, they really did a good job making it look like she hadn't washed her hair in weeks. She looked like a homeless person actually, because she had like her pants. It was, she was wearing the same pants throughout the episode. They looked really dirty. They looked too big for her. She was wearing, like, shirts that were kind of dirty, but not over-the-top dirty. They had holes in them, but not over-the-top holes. They did a really good job with her wardrobe. Um, But I thought it was interesting that they gave her this bright red lipstick. It was like the one little luxury thing she allowed herself was this red lipstick. So that's why it is the object of the episode for me. Um, I decided that the most valuable player of the episode I just wrote... Anne because you know that's what Buffy's going by in this episode and she's the badass of the episode but also because of Anne because we get to see Lily become Anne and she's a pretty cool character and so she gets the MVP but she's also sort of sharing it with Buffy because I totally get it you know After everything that happened to her, getting kicked out of school, having to kill her boyfriend, getting kicked out of the house, the cops being after her, I totally get why she had to leave, why she just had to go not be, have, just escape from her life for a while. I mean, it's been, her life as a slayer has been pretty fucking relentless and I think a person that has that kind of gravity to their lives, that is a hero in that sense, I think would need to have a few times like that where they just completely disconnect. And I get it. And I'm glad that was part of Buffy's storyline. I think it was pretty negligent to not at least, she could have at least called her mom or Giles and said, look, I need to be away for a while. I think it's kind of shitty that she didn't do that. At least, she could have at least left them a note. Okay, wait, hold on. She did leave her mom a note. Maybe that's why everybody knew that she was okay. I forgot about that. Okay, sorry. I just remembered you do see Joyce reading a note at the end of the last episode of the last season. You don't get to see what the note says, I don't think. But she is looking at a note. So that's why they know she's okay. So never mind. I'm not mad at Buffy because she did leave a note. (laughs) Never mind. Um, Okay. But I get it. I get why she had to go. The next episode, we will be back next Saturday, October 6th, to talk about Dead Man's Party. So that episode is all about the fallout, the disconnected friendships, you know, trying to renegotiate relationships after being gone for so long renegotiate the mother-daughter dynamic after being gone so long i mean she's lived on her own she has taken care of herself now and she has to reintegrate living with her mom and like following mom rules again after now her mom knows she's a slayer and knows that she can take care of herself it's a it's a weird dynamic and there's a lot of strangeness and um we're going to get to see Joyce drinking a lot next episode, so get ready for that. Um, let's do the 5 by 5 ratings. Um, before we do that, though, I will just give you all the shit. I'll be back next week with the next episode. Um, if you want to get a hold of me for any reason, Mixtress Radio at Gmail. If you would like to become one of my patrons, Patreon.com slash MixtressRay. P-A-T-R-E-O-N and then Mixtress Ray is M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E if you would like to just give me a one-time donation because you like my podcast and you want to say hey, thank you um, you can do that via PayPal paypal.me slash Mixtress Ray um, yes so, all of that That's, that's about it, so I'll be back next week with Dead Man's Party thanks for listening to this Very long episode. Um, I just... I'm a very sensitive and emotional person. So sorting out this new information, new old information about Joss Whedon and sort of integrating it into the way that I feel about the show. Like, it doesn't mean I don't love the show. It's still my favorite show. I'm still going to continue doing this podcast. But it has an effect on how I see it. And it will probably... From now on have an effect on how I see it. So that's how it is. That's just how it is. So let's get into the ratings. Um, I always do one rating for how enjoyable it was and one rating for the clarity of message because most episodes have like a theme, a moral put through the lens of vampires. So I gave it a four for enjoyability. For the most part, it was a good episode. I gave it a four for clarity of message. I think it was very clear that this whole episode was, who is Buffy? Um, She doesn't even know, but by the end, she remembers. Um, I think it was a little heavy handed on the message, which is why I sort of deducted a point because I think it was very clear on its message, but I think it was just a little too clear. So I gave it a four for both scores. So it gets a 16 altogether. Um, Very excited just counting down. I mean, we're only two weeks away from meeting Faith. And I'm very excited about that. It is, I'm, she's one of my very favorite characters. One of my top five characters from Buffy is Faith. I can't wait. Um, I will see you guys next week. Bye.